Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. So we're going to be focusing on Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Now I told you just a minute ago, we're going to look at the ending of the gospel of Mark, and that is what this is. Now scholars have debated it and uh, disagreed, but come to a general conclusion that Mark's gospel ends at verse 8. Now the text that you have in front of you has a few more verses after that, and, um, and there's some reasons for that. The earliest and oldest copies of Mark's book end in verse 8. There's nothing after uh, verse 8. And then some of those, still very old to us, but some of those more recent copies that do have something past 8, 9, and on, um, they're not always consistent. There's, there's discrepancies, there's differences in what follows um, that text. What it looks like is that somewhere along the line, some sort of scholar or, or scribe thought that it would be helpful to those reading the Gospel of Mark to know what happens after it, right? And so they made some notes. They just wrote some stuff down. Sort of like if you have a study Bible and there's some things there at the bottom. They wrote this stuff down and um, somewhere along the lines, it just kind of squeezed in there and it became a part of what we consider to be Mark. None of it's damaging. It's not bad and it is edifying to read. However, um, I believe, and as, do, as does the general consensus, that the Gospel of Mark ends at verse 8. So, for those reasons, we're going to focus our attention on the original ending, verses 1 through 8. Let me read that to you. You follow along with the text that you have or the screen behind me. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and to anoint him. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Verse five, and when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. I want to point out three observations from this text. And they're a bit unusual for the gospel writers, but they are helpful for us. The first one is the somewhat surprising emphasis on women. Mark, more than any other gospel, really highlights the role that women played in discipleship and in the ministry of Jesus. You have Simon's mother-in-law in chapter one, Jesus's mom and his sisters in chapter three. The, women with the, or the woman with the flow of blood and Jairus' daughter in chapter 5. Herodias and her daughter in chapter 6. The Syrophoenician woman and her daughter in chapter 7. The poor widow in chapter 12. The woman who anoints Jesus in 14. The woman who challenges Peter in chapter 14. 
the woman at the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus, the women in chapter 15, and then you have the women here at the tomb. Mark makes an, a concerted effort to draw attention to the women that were in and around Jesus' ministry. One scholar wrote, Mark mentions woman at the beginning and at the end of the gospel. Woman is always near, yet not always at the center of activity. She is there in the crowds as disciple, as healed, and healer, and as grave preparer. The emphasis on women in the gospel of Mark does a few things for us. It, it illuminates, it shows us some of the things that Mark was trying to do, some of the things that the beginning stages of our faith, Christianity, emphasizes. First of all, it balances out the idea of discipleship. If you were to read through Mark and only focus on the apostles, on the male followers of Jesus, then you would get a lopsided view of discipleship in that most often, the discipleship experiences of the male followers of Jesus were not to be celebrated. They were filled with doubts and uh, messing up and not getting it right. So you would almost have this disheartened view of discipleship. However, Mark includes both the men and the women to show a more balanced view. When we look at the, the examples that the women leave in the gospel of Mark, what we see is is great faith with very little evidence of stepping out when everything else seemed hard or difficult, encouragement, challenges. It is edifying to us to see the role that women played in discipleship. It also not only balances out the view of discipleship, but it also challenges the social ideas at that time and our own. See, at that time, women were not allowed to testify in court. They were not allowed to testify in court because by default, women were considered to not be trustworthy. They were not uh, allowed to own land or have jobs. They had a very low view of women. They had a view of gender that was skewed toward male authority. Here's what I'm trying to point out here, and it's helpful. It unlocks a lot of the way that Mark writes and things is. And it's also confirming, if you are exploring Christianity, Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you're not yet a Christian. Here's something that I want to point out about just this one fact. The fact that the early church championed these three women as the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof in and of itself that the story is true. If they had made up the story, if the disciples had made up this idea that Jesus had resurrected, then they would have gotten more credible witnesses. They would have written down something like Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus or Peter or John or any of the other males that were walking around as more credible witnesses. Women were not allowed to testify. They weren't credible witnesses. And so the only reason that this would be put in is that it was true that it was the reality. They're not making this up. This is what happened. Sadly, we still have a skewed view toward authority and gender. Many churches sideline women to nothing more than childcare or food services. And while both of those are honors, both of those are very good things to participate, they're not relegated by scripture to females. Women should be in leadership 
they should have a seat at the table and sometimes at the head of the table. So it not only balances discipleship, it challenges social norms that Jesus and scripture challenge, but it also serves to confront any lock on authority or access from any one group. What I need to say is that it's not that men are inerrantly or by default tyrants. That's a false view that you're gonna get from modern feminism. That's not true, that's not reality. Men in and of themselves are not any more broken than any other group of people. The truth is any group, either gender, any race or creed left to their own will seize control and do what they can to keep it. We all trust our own and question the outsider. Mark's emphasis here is not just about gender. It is about gender, but it's not just about, it's primarily about inclusion and authority. Jesus was constantly pushing back on this idea that there are just a few that are just like me that are always in control. We should do more to include other voices and perspectives. God created males and females. God has given wisdom to the old and to the young. God has gifted all Christians in specific ways. It is a shame that too often what constitutes church leadership is made up of nothing but the same gender, age, and background. Mark challenges that. Jesus challenged that. So what we have is this unlikely, unexpected eyewitnesses, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, and they face an unbelievable challenge. Look at verse three. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? In front of them was an immovable object, a giant stone that they in their own power could not overcome. And we all have those. We all have those. We all have things we think we can't do anything about. It could be medical or financial, but often it's relational. We have these moments or these situations in which we just don't see a path forward. It's too dark, it's too high, it's too scary. These disciples faced the same thing. In front of them was a literal stone a literal weight they could not lift, an obstacle they could not move. But their example though is edifying to us. Their encouragement, their illustration is something that we should follow because they did what they could do right up to the moment that they couldn't. Think about it. They probably had the conversation where they said, how will we move this stone? One of them says, I don't know, but we need to anoint the body. How will we move this stone? I don't know. We need to go buy some spices. How are we gonna move that stone? I don't know. Let's just start walking towards the tomb. Followers of Christ have a one foot in front of the other sort of mentality, and we always have. There are numerous obstacles in our personal and our collective lives that we just don't know how to handle. And in our own strength, we simply cannot handle them. But we take the next step. We just do what we know to do when we don't know what to do. I've heard it said before, and I love this saying, it's just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. It makes no sense to hold a stick up above a large body of water, but that's what God told Moses to do. He did it and God parted those waters. How in the world would walking around a city 
multiple times lead to victory. It doesn't matter. God said to do it, so they did it, and they were victorious. One young man standing against the giants and the army behind him does not seem like a, very, a recipe for victory, but that's exactly what happened. Walking on water is something that only God can do, but climbing out of a boat, Peter could do that, and he did. And so he walked on water. Do what you are told to do by Christ and let God do what only God can do. Too often we face challenges and then we just don't even try. We see something on the horizon that we can't figure out, that we can't plan for, or or we can't have any sort of contingency for. There's just something out there that we don't know what we're going to do with. And so we don't even move. That's not faith. That's not what we're supposed to do. That is a problem. Steps of obedience are steps of faith. Just do what you know to do when you don't know what to do. Do the next right thing. I have learned this. Just be faithful with the things that you can be faithful with and let God sort out the rest of it. Play the cards you're dealt and let the chips fall where they may. This is where miracles happen. When you do all you can do up until you can't do anything more, verse four says that when they got there, the stone was removed. How often has that happened to you? Think about it. You need to remind yourself about this every now and then. How often have you had a concern about something? And rightfully so. But then it happens and it wasn't really all that bad. Has that ever happened to you or is it just, just me? Most immovable stones in your life are just in your mind. They're just fears. Some of them are real. I don't want to act like they're not. Some of them are real and they're actual, but none of them are impossible for God. There are stones, but God can move those. So you have this unlikely, unqualified, not trusted followers of Jesus that face a challenge that they cannot overcome on their own. And then you've got good news. Look at five through six. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he is risen and he is not here. On the other side of obedience and faith is always good news. Ultimately, that is where we find what we actually need, whether we were looking for it or not. The day in this story is a Sunday, just like today is a Sunday. And Sundays are days of good news, a bright and a wonderful day. But Friday was dark. Friday was cold. Friday was scary. It's just like the song says, Friday's good because Sunday's coming. And that's the truth. We all know that the best is after the worst. I take great hope and joy in that reality. The good news, whether they were looking for it or not, was that Jesus had resurrected, that he had beat death. And the way that the angel says it is important. He says, hey, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, which he's not often called that, except for here at the end of Mark and at the beginning of Mark, where Mark is emphasizing that Jesus is fully human. He had a hometown. He had a mama. He had a a culture. He had a language. He was fully human. He says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. It's almost this idea. I know who you're looking for. He was crucified. 
And that crucifixion was tragic and it was a sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. It was prophesied and he fulfilled that prophecy. That very real human Jesus was crucified. But then the angel sort of smirks and he says, and he is risen. Because he's not just human. He is also God. Can you imagine the angel sort of smirking and saying, I know what you're looking for, but you found something way better than that. See, this God beat death by dying. He took on the penalty of sin. It was unjust to kill him, but in that injustice, he met God's justice. And it says, he is not here. Aslan is on the move. Jesus is always on the move, always missional, always seeking and saving the lost. Is it not him who said, this is the reason I came to preach the good news to all people? Listen, woe to Christians who have found their seat to be too comfortable to be moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not on mission, if you're not moving and serving and sharing the gospel wherever you go, then you have been left by Jesus because he is still going. Be on mission. Jesus is always on mission. Follow Jesus. That's why the angel immediately tells them, go. That's why later on when the disciples are standing there and Jesus says, go into all the world, and then he ascends and the disciples are still standing there and the angels appear and they said, what are you still doing here? He said, go, go. Those who believe this, and I understand it, it's quite a bit to believe, but they obey, they have faith, they are saved by Jesus, they are redeemed and welcome. This is what the ending of Mark is saying. All, all are welcome. Whether you are of some privileged class, or you have enough money, or you feel that you're entitled to it, or not, Everyone is welcome, regardless of the challenges and the weights that you bring to the cross. It's fine. There's some weight around your neck, some burden on your shoulders. That's fine. Come to the cross and see that Jesus is Lord, that he is resurrected, that he is fully man and fully God, and he is king. That's how our faith starts. That's the first thing that you recognize. I am not worthy. I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. That is how it starts. That is how it continues. That for the rest of your life, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, who you are not, Jesus is Lord. That's how Mark ends his story. And I should go ahead and finish with Mark's final words. It's his book, verse seven through eight, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. And they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. The story concludes with a saying that they were afraid, so they told no one. And that is a strange way to end the greatest story ever told. But it's also a fantastic way to end the greatest story that was ever told. Because you know what? Obviously they told someone. We're reading about it, all right? They're the only witnesses. They told someone. Maybe later on they told Mark who wrote it down. 
They probably told Peter. We know from other gospel accounts that they ran back and told the disciples. So maybe Mark is essentially saying that they went and told no one that they didn't trust. All right. They went and told the people that they trust. But another thing that Mark is saying is something that he has already told you. Something that we already know. Several weeks ago when we began this series on Mark, we began where every story begins. At the beginning. And Mark chapter 1 verse 1 says very clearly, this is what Mark said. He said, the beginning of the good news about King Jesus. Mark told us from the very first words, I am only going to tell you the beginning of this story. And it is a great story. I'm just going to start the story out for you. What looks like the end is just the start. This is a helpful perspective. Until God says it's done, it ain't done. We tend to put periods where God puts commas. We tend to think that the challenges we see or the things we are afraid of in the storyline, but God is the author and he will say when it is done. We turn the pages in the Bible and we find the acts of the disciples who do amazing things as they follow God. We turn the pages of history and we see women and men who attempt great things and accomplish great things. Why? Because it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what challenge they, are, they have. Jesus is Lord. The end of the story is just the beginning. The end is rarely ever the end. It's almost always just the beginning. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.